Good to see everybody. Let's just jump right in. So it's just so cool to do this every Sunday. Lord, we just thank you that you delight to open our eyes to heavenly realities. You are the open door. You are Jacob's ladder. You are the house of God. And you have made us living stones in that house. A house that spans the globe. Believers all over the globe. Living stones in the true house of God. It spans generations. It spans centuries. Cloud of witnesses look to us and encourage us. And they say, if we can finish the race, so can you. It is not by our righteousness, but by the righteousness of another. Only believe. Only believe. Thank you, Lord, for the reality. Thank you for the kingdom of heaven that's come. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we step into another reality while we walk the earth. It is a parallel universe. It is the reality of the favor and presence of God 24-7, not based on our performance but based on the obedience of one Christ Jesus. This is the glad news of the kingdom that is within reach of everyone who believes. For we have been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son through a great mystery, a great mystery of death and resurrection the death of the Christ and the resurrection of the Christ. For we were crucified with him. Nevertheless, we live. Yet not not us alone, but Christ lives in us. And the life we live in this body, this body on earth, we live by faith in Jesus himself who lives inside of us who loved us and gave himself for us. Thank you, Lord, for this reality. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for joy, unspeakable and full of glory. For when this is seen, the heart cannot help but say thanks. Thanksgiving arises. When we see Jesus himself, there is no fear in love, just thanksgiving. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Boy, I really look forward to that that short time of prayer with us in the morning. I don't know if you guys feel it, but I feel the Spirit of God just every morning. That prayer just solidifies truth and just God just, just love that.
Awesome. I want to share some thoughts this morning about a false teaching that is rampant in the body of Christ. And in some places it is more prevalent than in others. But it is there subtly all over the place. It has to do with the teaching about indwelling sin in the believer's life. Indwelling sin in the believer's life. And what I want to address is what, what does that mean? Indwelling sin in the believer's life. Um, is it true that the believer does have indwelling sin in their life? Well, it depends on what you mean by that. Because the scripture, te- let me tell you what the scripture teaches first. I believe the scripture clearly teaches that when you and I are born of the spirit, Jesus said that that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit, the Spirit. He did not say that that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is both flesh and Spirit. There's a clear distinction between that which is from below of the earth, from Adam's race of flesh, and that which is from above in the Spirit from the Christ. A new creation. Now, what's happened is that God did this incredible work and allowed the new creation to remain in an earthen vessel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power that is being exhibited in our lives is clearly seen to be of God, not of ourselves. So there's this mystery of the new being encased by the old. Paul says that the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Paul said that the outer man is decaying every day and getting older and older and older. And I can attest to that. (laughs) Knees are cracking. But the inward man is being renewed every day. There's a dichotomy of the old and the new that cannot be confused or it will bring confusion. And the enemy's technique or one of the enemy's strategies. Paul says we're not ignorant of the enemy's strategies. And one of his strategies is to bring confusion. He is the author of chaos. Confusion is not of God. The scripture says God is not the author of confusion. But the enemy loves confusion. He loves chaos. He loves it because that hides the truth. Confusion brings blindness. But clarity brings sight. And so what the truth does, the truth of Christ comes to us and we can see clearly. God wants us to have and hear a certain sound. The simplicity of Christ is awesome. It is simple, but it is profound. It changes everything. And that's why Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, I fear lest Satan beguiled Eve in the garden and lured her away from the simplicity of just walking with God and being God conscious and not being self conscious and being, just being a human being instead of trying to do. 
I fear you Corinthians have been beguiled as Eve was beguiled and tricked to this other tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which brought confusion and then blindness. And then their eyes were opened to themselves and they began to focus on their own nakedness instead of God himself. And even God says, who told you you were naked? That's, that's not part of the plan. That's not the way I work. I don't work. This is so cool. One of the, the scripture says that the spirit is given to show us the things of the spirit. The scripture says the spirit is given to show us the deep things of God. One of the deep things of God is that he does not need evil to bring forth good. Paul says, I would that you would be naive as to that which is evil and wise as to that which is good. The enemy says to you and I in theological circles and that you need to know the evil so you can appreciate the good. Or you need to know all about the evil so you can change and be like the good. It's a deception. Who told you you were naked, God said. What God did in raising up a new creation is so profound. Paul said it a thousand different ways. And yet we still don't see it or don't believe it. But it's, I think we believe it here. But, I mean, overall, it's just hard for people to grasp that they really do have a new heart. It's the promise of the prophets that the new covenant would bring a new heart. That they really have a, a new soul. That you really are a new person. A new man has been raised. The old man is dead. Not slowly dying, but dead. And a new has been raised. This is so key because if we don't see this, everything unravels. That's why saints have been in confusion and a lack of growth, the growth has been stunted and little fruit for years, decades, 20, 30 years walking with God. And then when they hear this message of the finished work of Christ, I've heard it a hundred times. People say, oh my gosh, where have I been? Or they'll say this, you know, I've walked with God for 30 years and I never really believed he loved me. I believe he loved everybody else, but I couldn't really Feel that love for me. And for the first time in 30 years of walking with God, I know he loves me. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. Spiritual revelation breaks through when the truth of the finished work of Christ is proclaimed with boldness and unashamedly. And when I say unashamedly, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. When he says, I'm not ashamed of it, that means He was not ashamed to proclaim a message that seemed so far-reaching and so simple and so easy to receive that it just just totally, uh, you know, to the intellectual, to the the strong-willed person, to the self-made man, to the one who works, and it just seemed like foolishness. And that's why he said, it seems like foolishness, but it's the wisdom of God. You know, because it's God's way where no flesh can glory in his presence. And that's why he means by I'm not ashamed of I'm not ashamed to tell you how how simple it is, how easy it is to receive this by simple faith. It's all by grace through faith and how profoundly life changing and cataclysmic this work has been in totally raising us up from the dead for God raises the dead. 
and calls into being that which did not exist before. A new creation. Behold, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. Awesome. So what, so what is this thing about indwelling sin that's uh, the teaching about this is rampant in the church? Um, the teaching goes, well, let me say this first. Um, we're still talking about what's correct. Okay. The process by which the new believer or the believer is transformed into the image of Christ, and it's written in all the apostolic writings and letters, and the Lord himself teaches this in the Gospels when he talks about the mysteries of the kingdom. It's all there. But what the dynamic that works in the new covenant is not a dynamic that looks back to sin in the flesh in order to become more Christ-like. The dynamic that works in the new covenant is a revelation of Christ himself. And as we see him, because the new man, there's a logic to all this. There's a logic. It, it really is a, it's a wisdom that is a transcendent wisdom that really is logical. It's not some hard thing to grasp. It's very logical. It's, it's, a, it's really transcendent wisdom. Like Paul says, we speak wisdom to those who are mature. You can actually see this. Wow. You know, this really makes sense. Okay. So when we look at Christ, the new man looks at Christ. We are, we find ourselves, and this is something that cannot be explained any more than you can explain raising a shepherd's staff and parting the Red Sea. Or any more than you can explain putting mud in someone's eyes and they see. Or any more than it can be explained how he can say to one who has not uh, walked from birth, rise up and walk. This is the power of God that cannot be explained. We can only see the results of it and stand in awe. Because if we could explain it all, we'd be God. And we can't explain it. We can't explain it. It's God. It's God. I I love that before Lazarus' tomb and he's been dead four days, and Jesus said, didn't I say, if you would just believe, you would see the glory of God. And I think what he means by that is, you'll see what only God can do. It's the glory of being God. Only God can raise the dead. Lazarus, come forth. They saw the glory of God. That's what this is. It's life. The resurrection, the resurrecting power of God is in us. The scripture says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us. Okay. So as we look at the the Lord in our inner man, beholding Christ, as Paul talked about, beholding the Christ in your inner man and see him. There's a dynamic that takes place that is unexplainable. And what happens is it draws out what is already in us by creation, the new creation. Because we are made in the image of him who created us, Colossians says and Ephesians says. So when you see him, you see yourself. As he is, so are you. Paul says it's like looking into a mirror. 
Looking into the glory of, the, of, of God in the face of Christ is like looking into a mirror. You'll see the glory of God in the face of Christ, and yet you'll see yourself. How can these things be? Because he has raised a new creation after his own likeness. So the tenderness and the compassion you see in him is in you. So the kindness that's in him is in you. So the forgiveness that's in him is in you. It's already there. We've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we simply should walk in them as letting that salvation work out, work out the salvation or let it manifest as we are beholding him and focusing on him. The apostles were very clear. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, not sin in the flesh. Set your mind on things above. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the scripture says. Look unto Jesus, the scripture says. It's all the whole, all the apostolic writings talk about focusing on him because, and this is the logic of this. If you and I are going to be changed in, in real time on earth, see the change has already taken place, but the manifestation of the change is what the scripture refers to as transformation. Transformation is a reference to what is seen by the eyes of men on earth. You and I already are perfect and complete in Him. But the emerging, the emerging new man that comes from these bodies, life manifests through these bodies, is a gradual process of going from faith to faith, from glory to glory, because it is a process of the renewal of the mind that allows the emergence of what is to be seen. Let your light so shine before men that men may glorify your Father which is in heaven. So what happens, the logic of this is this. If we are going to be transformed and changed before the eyes of men in this world and bear much fruit in this world, then you do not go back to what God has killed and buried, the old man. That's why burial is a big part of the gospel. Crucified, buried, raised again. We do not go back and dig up the old man and the flesh and, and look at the sin that's in the flesh, the power of sin that's in the flesh, in order to be who we have been made in Christ in the resurrection. Think about this, saints. The, the issue is not digging up the old man and looking at sin in the flesh. Paul says, Romans 7, that no good thing dwells in my flesh. It's there. The right way to think of indwelling sin is that, yes, there's indwelling sin in the believer, but not really in the believer. There's indwelling sin in the flesh. There's indwelling sin in the old man um, actually, not even the old man, because the old man really is dead. And we've talked about that before. But it's actually in the body. And it's dead. And it's dead. But it's in the body. There's a power that resides in our members, the apostle said. Very little is ever taught about this in the scripture. I mean, uh, in, in, wide, in churches. But that's, it's so widespread. In the members of our body... There is a power of sin that still works in this brain 
that seeks to bring you and I into captivity, Romans 7, it's all about that. Who shall deliver me from this body of death, see? And so you don't go back to the power of sin in the body or the flesh, you want to say it that way, and try to improve. So what do you do? It makes sense. If a whole new being has been created, then you nurture the new man. You nurture the new man. And how do you nurture the new man? You nurture the new man by feeding him Christ. The whole Christian life is about eating and drinking. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life in him. They didn't understand what he meant. He spoke in the spirit. Eating and drinking of Christ. That's why the tree of life was a tree of life. It was a tree with a fruit to eat. The whole Christian life is about eating. Do we eat? Are we eating of Him? Are we receiving of Him? Are we sitting down? As He said, I would come in and sit with you and eat with you and dine with you. See, it's a matter of eating of Him, of being nurtured by Him, of Him. And And when we do that, the new me comes forth. There is a difference between the mind and the brain. The brain is part of this creation, part of this body. The brain, when we die, the body dies. The brain stays on earth. The brain's going to stay here on earth. But the mind will be gone. Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The scripture says, we now have the mind of Christ. We now have the mind of Christ. You cannot improve on that. We now have the mind of Christ. But there is a process. There's a process of the renewal because the new me is in this old body. Therefore, while we're in the body, we see in part, we prophesy in part, we manifest in part who we really are. But when we are released from this body, the scripture says, we shall know all things even as we are known in an instant. What changed? We left the body. To remove the real you from this body is to release All that is in you and all that is out there, instantly we know all things as we are known. God gave Paul a taste of this, and he wrote about it. And he said, I could not tell if I was in the body or out of the body, but it sure felt like I was out of the body. God showed me all this about this new man being separate from the body, and I saw things that once I came back in the body, if I was indeed out of the body, I can't even articulate now that I'm back in the body. You know, he wrote about it. God gave Paul this understanding of the new creation. And that's why it is wrong to teach the believer to search for indwelling sin in their lives in order to be more Christ-like. The one who teaches that also teaches that you have an evil heart. And you need to search your heart for evil. And that is false teaching. You do not have an evil heart. We did have an evil heart. We did. Jeremiah says the heart is desperately wicked, deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? That's exactly the truth. We were blind and in sin, alienated from the life of God, darkened in our understanding, Ephesians says. But now in Christ, the glory of his resurrection is a new creation has been raised. Behold, this day have I begotten thee at the resurrection, God says of Christ. And we, a nation, shall be born in a day. How how can this be? How can a nation be born in in a day? On the day of the resurrection, behold, a royal priesthood, a holy nation raised in a day that spans time and generations. This nation was raised in Christ. 
And this is what releases us. It's the truth that sets us free. And if we go back to the flesh and try to fix ourselves, it is a deception. But if we boldly proclaim unashamedly, as Paul said, that we have a new heart, a new mind. I have the mind of Christ. It doesn't say I'm going to get it one day. He says we have now the mind of Christ. We can know things, the things of God, because the Spirit of God has given it to us that we might know the thoughts of God. The Spirit has been given that we might know the thoughts of God. And the deep things of God. See, the enemy would have you twist this around and try to look for the deep things in your flesh to be more Christ-like. That was the dynamic of the law. The law, through the law, was the knowledge of sin. The law actually exposed sin for the purpose of bringing people to the end of themselves. That every mouth would be shut. The law, and basically the logic of exposing sin was to bring people to the end of themselves so they'd stop trying to fix themselves. So why would we take that dynamic in the new covenant and use that to try to fix ourselves when that's the very thing God says? No, the law was added that transgressions might increase, not decrease. And the power of sin still resides in these bodies and sin is still stimulated by law in the believer's life. You can still stimulate that power of sin easily because the law is not of faith. It's not of faith. So anytime you try to fix yourself by looking at sin, you're not walking in the revelation of Christ. You're not walking in faith. And good luck. <laughs> because it will, that power of sin will rear its ugly head. And it will not be the old man either. It's not the old man raising its head. The old man is dead. The old man was severed. Well, I'll say it this way. The old man ceased to exist because of the spiritual circumcision that took place in the cutting away of the body. Colossians says, God's hand cut away the body of the flesh. It's the, it's the true circumcision of the spirit. Where when the spirit of God came, we literally were cut. The inner man was cut away from the outer man. And in a way we cannot explain, God allowed the power of sin to remain in the body. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom. And he allowed it to remain quarantined in the body. The power of sin. But the old man is a function of being joined to the flesh or being in the flesh. So if you're no longer in the flesh, the old man ceases to exist. You see that? The Old man is a function of you, the inward, invisible man being joined to the flesh of Adam, of Adam's race. Dead in sin, darkened in the understanding. But the moment God takes the inner man away from the outer man, the old man cannot exist. That's why he really died. It's over. There's still a residual power of sin that remains in the body. But that's not who you are. And that's the key. Because when you see, when you sin, when I sin and stumble, James says we all stumble in many ways. When I sin, if you don't understand this, you'll get all down on yourself and say, I can't believe I did that. When really what you should say is, Lord, thank you for your incredible grace. And Lord, thank you for teaching me that I cannot live this life without you. And the reason why that just happened is because I'm worried about something. I'm trying to do something in my own strength. I'm trying to whatever without you. For apart from you, I can do nothing. 
And you don't have to work to get back into fellowship. You don't have to get sin forgiven again to get back in fellowship. You don't have to do anything but to stop and be still and behold the salvation of God. And remember, eat the bread and drink the wine and remember, remember the truth of what is that I'm still joined to him. He's still my daddy. I'm still his son. I'm still an heir. I have the life of God in me. And doggone it, I'm going to learn how to live by him. Amen. And I'm not going to go down around that mountain again because I want to learn to live by another. Because it's the only life that's worth living. Peaceful and joyful and bearing fruit. And it's, and it's, uh, and it's his way. So... The way the new man is nurtured is by revealing Christ to the new man. And then that new man is able to come forth. So you would never go back to the sin in the flesh to try to be more Christ-like. Never. And just briefly wrap it up here. The false teaching that's out there is that believers have indwelling sin in the very core of their being that their heart is still evil, that they need to search out sin in their heart, um, that they need to search out pride or arrogance or lust or whatever it is they're struggling with. They need to search these things out, identify them, work on them, whatever that means, and turn from them. It's a trap. It's a complete trap. And it sounds... Like wisdom. Just like when Eve saw the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she said of that tree, it looks, it's a tree to make one wise. And it's pleasant to the eyes. It, it corresponds with natural thinking. They just make sense. I heard, um, I heard a guy on television today was so cool. Uh, talking about uh, what happened to one of our presidents years ago. Great analogy for this whole thing. In 1880, James Garfield, one of our presidents, James Garfield, 1880, the 20th president, was shot by an assassin. This is all history. Shot by an assassin in the back. Would-be assassin. Didn't kill him. And for three months, they probed. It was before the invention of X-ray, 1880. They didn't have x-ray back then, so they didn't know where the bullet was. And so they probed, the doctors would probe with their hands trying to find the bullet without anesthesia either. He was like, you know, in pain, they were trying to find the bullet to save his life. Trying to save his life. Probing in the flesh to find the bullet. He died three months later. And they said after he died, the doctor said, you know... It wasn't the bullet that killed him. The probing. He got infected. He got infection from the probing of all these hands trying to find the bullet. And he died three months after the assassin shot. Would-be assassin shot him. And that, what a sad thing back then. They had no x-ray to see. Okay, there's the bullet. Pull it out. They said he would have lived fine with the bullet inside of him for the rest of his life. I know that's true. My, my grandfather got shot with a shotgun 
crossing over a fence squirrel hunting, and his partner shot his gun slipped off the fence as they were crossing a fence, and the shotgun went off right in his back. They laid him down the back of a truck to take him to the hospital, and they got his, a lot of the shot out, but they left a lot of the little lead shot in him. He lived to be 80-something years old with bullets all over his back. Yeah, it was lead, too. And my grandfather was tough Wagner, a tough German. And... But anyway, so... But, he, uh, but that, that's what happened. The bullet was still in him. He would have lived. But all the probing killed him. And saints are being probed by well-meaning preachers and teachers who think this is the way to make you more Christ-like. We've got to find the bullet. And they're dying. When God says, leave the bullet there. I'm not worried about the bullet in their flesh. The power of sin in the flesh. I left it there on purpose. That's not the issue. The issue is a new man. The issue is a new creation. The issue is a new life. Nurture what I have done. Nurture what I've raised up. And you'll live, you won't even know you have a bullet there because of my life. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Thanks to J- James Garfield for that sad situation, but a perfect analogy of how God doesn't want us probing. He wants us to see the invisible reality of the new man and let him nurture that new man. Because life will emerge. The new mind, and I'll end right here, the new mind will emerge from the brain and result in deeds, deeds of the new man being put on. The new man is like the invisible man, the old movies of the invisible man. You couldn't see him until they put clothes on. That's what it is like, the invisible man. The world cannot see that you're a son of God until you put your clothes on. Put on Christ. Put on who you are. And so when you put on these deeds, which, you already, which are already in you, it's in your DNA as a new man, a new creation. It's in your DNA. We've created in Christ Jesus into good works that we merely walk in them because that's who we are. When you put on the deeds of kindness, they see the invisible you as you really are, just like the invisible man. And we are manifested in the world and God is glorified and we bear much fruit. And when you stumble and fall, see, knowing this truth, when you stumble and fall, you, you don't have to spend a week beating yourself and, and doing penance. And we do penance all kinds of ways, subconscious ways. Oh, I don't deserve that. Oh, I don't deserve to go in God's presence right now. I just sinned. Oh, I don't deserve to, oh, I, I just need to suffer for a little while, you know. No. That's why David, see, David got it. That's why David, when he committed adultery and murder and had a baby, of Beth, a baby from Bathsheba and the baby died and he prayed and prayed that God would, would, would heal the baby and God allowed the baby to die. The, his men said David's going to kill himself. He's, gonna kill, he's just totally distraught. He's going to kill himself because when the baby was alive, he was in bad shape. Now the baby's dead. He's totally gone. When the baby died, God, uh, David got up. Scripture says he washed himself, anointed himself with oil, and went into the presence of God and thanked God because he knew him. God, you're wiser than I am, and I just thank you for your, your loving kindness, oh God, David said. The next baby that was born of Bathsheba was Solomon, as if it never happened. Amen. The goodness of God. 
Like Janice Bird said, I love the way Janice Bird says, uh, that's just God hot, hot dogging. <laughs> when miracles happen in her life and just awesome things, he, she goes, that's just God hot dogging. Showing that he's God. Isn't that cool? Lord, thank you for helping us see these things. Help us, Lord, teach others. Help us teach others about the new man. Help us teach others that we don't look to indwelling sin in the flesh to be more Christ-like. We look to the indwelling life of the Son of God. For we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory as we, we behold Him who created us in His own image. What a mystery. What a heavenly dynamic. For my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways different from your ways. Where man looks at the outward appearance and looks at sin and looks at the flesh, I look at the new heart. I look at my handiwork. I look at my son. Behold, great is the mystery of your godliness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, may we teach others. May we teach ourselves. Amen.